I'd love to have Jared helping us on deals with other nations and see if we can do peace in the Middle East and other things. He's very talented. He's a very talented guy. From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. In Oregon, on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii, on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Bellingham, Washington, on KZAX 94.9 FM. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing the globe five days a week. Usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but today you've got me, Nicole Sandler, of The Nicole Sandler Show at nicolesandler.com. And it's that time of the year when you're searching for those last-minute holiday gifts for those hard-to-please people on your list. And although our president-elect doesn't read... Samantha B. told us, right? I know that most of broadcast listeners do. So today, I'm sharing with you interviews with the authors of two books that would make great gifts. First up, someone who is not a stranger to the broadcast, Ari Berman has been warning us about what would happen when we didn't have the full protections of the Voting Rights Act in force. Well, this year's was the first election in many decades that that's been the case. And we wind up with Donald Trump as our next president. Ari Berman was here in my neck of the woods a few weeks ago for the Miami International Book Fair. So we sat down to talk about what just happened and his book, Give Us the Ballot. A touch of sarcasm there. Never been a greater time to be an American. Ari Berman. America will never be greater. (laughs) Well, I hear there's somebody who's going to make it terrific. Great again. How much did your cries over the last few years, the fact that they were so ignored have to do with this election. And of course, by that I'm talking, you're the guy who's been for uh, so many years now we've been talking, you have been searching into the Voting Rights Act and how, uh, I'm going to point fingers, the Republican Party mostly has been trying to dismantle it. And this was the first election in the 50 years since the Voting Rights Act that People voted without the full protections accorded to them by it. And what we have is now what you just described as the apocalypse. <laughs> so remember when uh, Trent Lott said about Strom Thurmond, if, if we had voted for him, we wouldn't have had all these problems over the years. <laughs> that's, that's kind of how I feel about oh Everyone God. just had to r- listen to what I was saying. Uh, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have had the same outcome. I mean, I, I do think that... Uh, I've said since the election that I think the uh, attack on voting rights was the biggest ignored issue because 
it was treated by so many people as a side issue mm-hmm. as opposed to the fact that as I was saying this was likely to be a very close election and who couldn't and couldn't vote who would and would not be able to vote was going to have a big outcome on the final tally and Again, lots of factors go into voter turnout. You know, mm-hmm. voter turnout was down in a lot of places. Voter turnout was up in some places, like Florida, that, that didn't go for Democrats. But, you know, I was in Wisconsin on Election Day, and that was a state that was decided by 27,000 votes. And according to a federal court, 300,000 registered voters in Wisconsin didn't have strict forms of voter ID. So, again, we don't know how many people were able to obtain the ID, how many people were turned away from the polls. But when you're talking about, you know election that's decided by fewer than 30,000 votes, a lot of things impacted. And, and I know, for example, turnout was down by 50,000 votes in Milwaukee, where 70% of African-American voters in that state live. And the head of elections in Milwaukee said that voter ID depressed turnout and that we saw the largest drops in turnout in low-income places and more transient places in places where more people of color live, which is what we would have expected from the law. And so we don't know ultimately how big of an impact this stuff had, but the fact that people were turned away from the polls was a huge scandal that didn't get nearly the attention it deserved. Right. The narrative put out by the media is that, well, African-American turnout was down. The, the, the Obama coalition didn't come out to vote for Hillary Clinton. Is that because they didn't want to? Or is it because they just saw so much pushback, the fact that they didn't have the proper ID, that they said, screw this? What that Maybe maybe lack of enthusiasm, that they, they would have gone and voted anyway if there weren't all these barriers erected between them and the polling place. Yeah, I think you know it was a combination of factors. We clearly saw that in North Carolina when they limited the number of polling places mm-hmm. that black turnout was down much more in the first week of early voting when there were fewer polling places than later when there were more polling places. So, right. I mean, it makes sense that w- that when you make it easier to vote, more people will vote. I mean, it, it makes common sense. It's also been empirically uh, proven. And, you know, we have a situation where, yeah, there was a lot of factors that went into voter turnout being down. But if you're already not that enthusiastic about voting and then your polling place has been eliminated. You're requiring strict ID. You're worried that the Klan might come out and challenge your vote, which yeah. they said they were going to do. You know, all of these factor in to, to maybe keeping some people away. And so, again, it should have been treated with a lot more seriousness than it was. And it, it, Well, you know, that, but that might be the issue, seriousness. And again, it's the media who uh, did or did not make a story out of what was going on during the election. The, the media, and I'm, not, I'm talking about it as a monolith, but the corporate commercial media, for the most part, whether it's television, you know, over-the-air TV, cable, the corporate control media, they decided to focus in on the character flaws, things like that, that I think should have been out there. But the, the actual serious topics, for the most part, they ignored. Prime example is today, when we should be talking about the, you know, the potential cabinet picks. Not only that, the fact that our president-elect just settled one of the lawsuits against him for $25 million to avoid a day in court. And by the way, there's 70-some-odd lawsuits still pending against him. That should be a huge story. But the media, that monolith again, is focused in on was Mike Pence dissed by the cast of of Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse among a lot of people for what they did. The fact that they basically made an entire race out of one candidate's emails uh, and ignored lots of things that will end up, I think, being 
far more damaging to the country. Um, and I'm incredibly worried about the, sub- the subversion of democracy under Donald Trump in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm incredibly worried about how he's going to treat the free press. I don't think he believes in a free and vibrant press. We've already no. seen now the president is t- attacking the New York Times, wh- which for its flaws I still believe is one of our greatest institutions. Mm-hmm. It's very troubling. I think when, when he ta- attacks one member of the media, I kind of feel like he's attacking all of us, particularly those of us that are going to be critical of his administration. I'm incredibly worried about what they're going to do to voting rights now. I mean, they already were passing voter suppression laws in Florida, North Carolina, and Wisconsin, all these states that they had power. Mm-hmm. Now they have the Justice Department. Yep. Jeff Sessions. <laughs> basically, they put a white nationalist in charge yep. of the Justice Department. Yes, they do. Um, they have the Congress. They haven't had the Congress. Both so we don't know, of Congress. But we don't know what they're going to do. Nope. They have the presidency. There's a lot more bad stuff. Like, the stuff that we saw in Florida, North Carolina, and Wisconsin, that's just the appetizer to me for what they're going to do now. So I'm extremely worried about, can, can our institutions survive this? Will we have institutions after four years um, that can survive this? So to me, the subversion of democracy, big picture, not one issue, but big picture, is the most important fight we have in the next four years. We have to come out of this in 2020 with the fact that we are still a democracy, that we haven't basically become this sort of autocratic, (laughs) kleptocratic, white nationalist country um, where dissent is just, you know, not tolerated. And and based on everything I'm seeing, I'm extremely concerned about what's going on. Right. And just in the last couple of days, uh, we're seeing this president-elect who's called out the members of a Broadway show for, you know, for standing up after the show, after the curtain call, and making a, a statement that there was nothing controversial at all about it. They basically said, Mr. Vice President-elect, look at us. We are diverse. We represent America. Please tell us you're going to re- represent all of America. Now, of course, I come to this from the left. Someone who was a big trump Penn supporter might feel differently. But um, when, when you have the president-elect use his vast power of Twitter to then go and condemn you know, the cast of Hamilton rather yeah. than, you know, speaking out, you know, maybe apologizing to the nation for uh, not allowing the media to cover, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the first meeting that he had with a foreign leader, but yet his daughter was there. In the but room. the thing is, so, so okay, he, he has Twitter now, but I mean, soon he's going to have all of the institutions of government, right? you know, and, and what's he going to do with those things? Yeah. Um, what's he going to do with the Justice Department? Uh, what's he, what's he going to do with America abroad? Um, what's he going to do with the CIA? What is he going to do with all of these institutions? What is he going to do with the large amount of executive power that we already have because of Bush and because of the failure in many respects of Obama to pull back from the national security state? I mean, a, a guy who already is, in my opinion, you know, very autocratic, uh, very unstable, um, and doesn't seem to believe at all in the rule of law or the separation of powers or checks and balances or is going to get control of all of this. And I don't think the, the people really thought about what they were doing. I, I think that the, a lot of people thought, okay, we'll, 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 we'll stick, we'll, we'll sort of give Hillary the finger, and, but we think she's going to win, so we're going to elect a Republican Congress. You know, sort of they, they elected a Republican Congress believing that it was going to be a check on Hillary. Right. Not that suddenly Trump was going to have one-party control. I mean, I... Uh, maybe we're maybe people will be happy with this. I think that they're going to have serious buyer's remorse for what they did. Here. Well, I hope so. But again, we're talking, you know, I hate to say it, from a coastal perspective. And what was pointed out to us uh, a lot 
you know, since election day was that whole big center portion of the country, which feels we're not listening to them. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I understand the, the fights, the, the arguments in favor of the Electoral College. But is this time to scrap the Electoral College and find out a way to get to the popular vote wins? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought regardless of the outcome of this election that we should abolish the Electoral College. I mean, I think it's outrageous that candidates... They, okay, they campaigned in Miami, but it's one of the only big cities in the country that, that they campaign in. Mm-hmm. They don't campaign in New York right. or Boston or L.A. Nope. or San Francisco or Houston or Dallas or San Antonio. This is where people, both Democrats and Republicans, live increasingly right. in these places, either in the cities or the areas surrounding the city. They're not addressing any of our concerns. So, yeah, maybe they'll go to Miami. Maybe they'll go to Philly. Maybe they'll go to Charlotte. There's a few big cities that they'll hit in these swing states, but by and large, so many of us are being ignored and fine maybe it would have been different if trump had campaigned in long island in orange county but but that's fine i'm not saying that it would have led to hillary being elected but right. i think it's i think it's you know ridiculous that we're going to create an outcome where someone won by two million more votes and isn't present i mean i don't see how you can justify that under any democratic system i do think however that the democratic party needs to take seriously what happened particularly in the Midwest. Yeah. Because I don't believe these are crazy right-wing states. Ohio, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Pennsylvania. I don't believe these are crazy right-wing states. And when you lose Iowa by 10 points, when you lose Ohio <laughs> by 9 points, there are bigger issues there that need to be addressed. You, the, Regardless of whether we should abolish the Electoral College, you're not going to have a vibrant Democratic Party. I don't think you're going to be able to have a vibrant progressive movement if you're so weak in all of these places. Um, and so I still... I'm pretty annoyed with the Clinton campaign and that in spite of all the headwind, they couldn't find 100,000 more votes in Michigan, uh-huh. Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which have gone for Democrats consistently for the last 20 or even more years. And so there was a really there was a breakdown on all levels here. Um, the media deserves a lot of blame, but the campaign should have still been able to find 100,000 more votes at the end of the day. Right. There's there's plenty of blame to go around, that's for sure. Ari Berman is with us. We're at the, the uh, Miami Book Fair. This is a cool event, isn't Very it? Very cool. Um, it, although hot, we're here at the like at the end of November, and it's, you know, um, I don't know if you saw a picture. It was not too far from here, just from a few days ago. During high tide, there was a picture in a parking garage where there was a little octopus floating around because of the effects of climate change. But one more thing. Another that, issue that got literally zero attention. None. None. Not one question asked in any of the three presidential debates. Um, and, you know, the book is now out in paperback. I've got a copy of it here in my hand. Did any of the big um, either network or cable news morning shows have you on to discuss this book? Yeah. I mean, the, the, so, I mean the book got a lot of attention. Um so, you know, it, I was on a lot of different shows, whether, you know, it was Morning Joe or Fresh Air or all these other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the problem was that, you know, broadcast and, and cable news were the ones who really were moderating the debates. The debates weren't moderated by the New York Times no. or the Washington Post, right. let alone the nation. Um, and they basically set the agenda. I mean, it was it was cable news in particular that set the agenda. You know, they decided that Trump was going to be this phenomenon who deserved 95% of the coverage. And in my opinion, serious Republican candidates like Marco Rubio and John Kasich and, you know, people who, were, even if you don't agree with them, were serious candidates who you should have been covered, right. were completely ignored during the primary. Well, not so much Marco Rubio. But okay, yeah. but okay. the point is, is they got... If I was one of them, mm-hmm. I would have been furious because yeah. Trump got ninety five percent of the coverage and billions of dollars worth of free air Billion- time. And then, and then in the in the, in the um, general election, they decided they were only going to cover Hillary 
when there was a scandal, when it was about her emails right. or something else. They, they weren't going to cover any of her policy or anything that she was doing. So she wasn't, they didn't cover Bernie at all. No. He got no coverage until he became a phenomena, but they never tried to understand where he might be coming from. So basically, you know, the, the, the cable news decided that Trump was the story. Um, and that, like Les Moonves of CBS said, he might be bad for the country, but he's good for us. Yeah. And this is there. This and is a money making business. Amazing. Um, and I think it just reinforces the value of independent and public media. And you know, a lot of other countries run their elections very differently, as mm-hmm. you know, Nicole. They have they have sh- elections Shorter. that last for three months. <laughs> yes. They have public financed elections. Mm-hmm. They have publicly financed media, and things are covered in a very different way. It's not like that always produces great outcomes. Lots of crazy far-right candidates are winning in Europe, too. True, but look what but, we got. But, but look what we got. I mean, we got the worst possible thing. We had a campaign that lasted for two years mm-hmm. that no one liked the candidates, no one liked the coverage, and we ended up with the most unpopular person ever with no experience winning at the end of the day. So it, you put on, take off your journalist hat for a moment and put on your, you know, savior mm-hmm. <laughs> for the country. The Democratic Party comes to you and says, yeah. we're rudderless. We don't know yeah. how to go. Well, yeah. How would you advise them? What do they need to do? Because I don't see them pulling out of the free fall they're in right no, now. No, I mean, I, I have no faith in the Democratic Party as an institution. Um, based on everything I've seen in the last week, uh, they will be completely accommodationist uh, with Donald Trump. The fact that you know Mitch McConnell said that he would block everything Obama did mm-hmm. immediately and now you have a president who's far more unqualified and far more hated than Obama, and Democrats are saying, we're going to work with him. Right. We're going to work with a guy that basically appointed four completely insane people as his first four picks. Right. As chief strategist, as national security advisor, as CIA director, and Justice Department, four of the most important positions in the government, he chose the craziest possible people yeah. for all of those four positions. You're going to work with this guy? So. I would tell them they need to resist literally everything. And if, if they can't if they can't actually succeed in stopping him, at least make the case against him. But I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't have faith that Chuck Schumer and these guys are gonna make the case <laughs> against him. So could hear how my husband yeah. feels about So I, I think that you know we're gonna have to make the case against yeah, him. We and are we can't have to. we can't look to our leaders to do it. We're gonna have to do it ourselves. And I, I was on um, a panel last week in Congress with Reverend Barber, who is president of the North Carolina NAACP. Well. And they were awesome. and they were in a similar situation in North Carolina mm-hmm. in after the 2013 election, uh, the 2012 election. They didn't have the governor's office. They had a Republican supermajority uh, in the legislature. They had a hundred board of elections that were controlled by Republicans. They they had a completely neutered Democratic Party, mm-hmm. like the Democratic Party we have now. And they said. It's up to us to do it. And they right. went down to the legislature, and they started getting arrested. They started doing civil disobedience. Moral Mondays. And, and they changed the whole conversation in that state. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you bring that to Washington, but I think we need to start looking at things like that as being as being a possible response. Because if you just think that it's going to – if you, you just rely on the Democrats to try to stop Jeff Sessions or try to stop these people, I think it's going to be – tough. There are a few fights that I think need to be signature fights, and the most important one is who Trump appoints to the Supreme Court. So, so... That is the time to hold every, all of your elected officials accountable. Because that's going to be such a huge thing. Quick questions, and I know I'm watching the time. I know you've got another interview you need to do. But uh, the Republicans held up for almost a year. President Obama, they held no confirmation hearings on... uh, Merrick Garland. Thank you, Merrick Garland. There are some who say 
there will be, as the, the end of the one session of Congress and another one comes in, that is a recess, that President Obama could make a recess appointment, though it would only be good for a year, it's better than nothing. Or there are others who say we should do to the, the Democrats, should do to the Republicans, what the Republicans vowed to do to the Democrats, because remember they said that everyone expected Hillary Clinton to win, and they were yeah. saying we're not going to appoint it, we're not going to approve anyone. It's, it's, a, it's an absurd situation. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not for Supreme Court justices not even having hearings. Yeah. I mean, I think that what they should what they should have done was hold hearings on Merrick Garland mm-hmm. and hold a vote. And if they rejected him, they had rejected him. And I think that that, um, Democrats should do the same thing with whoever Trump nominates. I don't think they should just block them. But I think if there's a time to oppose, it's now. Because the idea that there was a vacancy that should have been filled by someone who was from the center or the center left will instead be filled by another Scalia. Um, it's crazy to me. And, and then you're talking about you know 30 years here. And I think there are a lot of evangelicals that voted for Trump who didn't like him because of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really unfortunate that the Democrats didn't do a better job of talking about the importance of the court. I think Obama made a mistake nominating Merrick Garland and not yeah. nominating someone with a, a more interesting um, bio that would have motivated the base more. Um, I, I think that they made a mistake by not making a bigger deal of Republican obstruction. And mm-hmm. I also think you know Hillary and the Democrats made a bigger mistake by not emphasizing that this wasn't about four years. This was about 30 years of the Supreme Court. Uh, And that's one of the only checks we have now um, because you can't rely on the Congress. You can't rely on the on on uh, the executive branch. And so so many issues are going to go before the Supreme Court. And I'm, you know, again, I'm I'm very concerned about what Trump's going to do here. Uh, And I think this has to be a signature fight in the next four years. Without a doubt, among many. We've got rough waters ahead, to put it very lightly. Ari Berman, author of Give Us the Ballot, speaking with me just a few weeks ago at the Miami Book Fair International. Sorry for all the noise in the room, but it was a noisy room. I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com. In for Brad Friedman on today's edition of the Bradcast. Stick around. Still to come, another book fair interview. Less noisy, though, with former Florida governor and senator Bob Graham, who had a lot to say about those 28 pages dealing with Saudi Arabia and their involvement in 9-11 and more. Stick around. It's all coming up on today's edition of The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. 
I'm Nicole Sandler filling in for Brad and Desi today on this edition of the Bradcast. Something I do uh, most days is put together a little segment I call What's News? A unique look at the day's news. Well, being the end of the year, I took the Associated Press countdown of the top 10 news stories of 2016 and gave it the What's News treatment. So here we go, the AP's top 10 news stories of the year, What's News style. I read the news today, It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. It's that time of the year again, the end. And I know I'm not alone when I say good riddance to 2016. The end of the year is when we break out the lists. And the Associated Press has made my job easier by publishing their list of the top 10 news stories of the year. Let's go. Number 10. Hillary Clinton's emails. Amid the presidential campaign, the FBI conducted an investigation into Clinton's use of a private computer server to handle emails she sent and received while Secretary of State. FBI Director James Comey criticized Clinton for carelessness. I did not email any um, classified material to anyone. There is no classified material. 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received. It was my practice to communicate with State Department and other government officials on their .gov accounts. Hostile actors gained access to the private commercial email accounts of people with whom Secretary Clinton was in regular contact from her personal account. Um, No doubt that we've done exactly what we should have done. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. People will be able to judge for themselves. We cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. Americans will find that to you know, interesting, and I look forward to having a discussion uh, about that. But said the Bureau would not recommend criminal charges. Number nine, the Supreme Court. After Justice Antonin Scalia's death in February, President Obama nominated Merrick Garland, chief judge of the U.S. Court of Appeals, to fill the vacancy. However, majority Republicans in the Senate refused to consider the nomination, opting to leave the seat vacant so it could be filled by the winner of the presidential election. Never has a Republican president's nominee not received a hearing, not received a vote. Uh, So I don't object to Republicans saying, look, Merrick Garland may be a fine man. He may be an excellent judge, but I just disagree with him philosophically on a whole range of issues. So I'm going to vote against him. So you'd be okay if they if if he got defeated as long as they go through the process? I think that if they go through the process, they won't have a rationale to defeat him. So uh, my my point is, go through the process, go through the hearings. I think if you do that, the American people and the majority of senators will determine that, in fact, he is qualified to be on the court. Donald Trump has, of course, promised to appoint a conservative in the mold of Scalia. Number Syria. (laughs) 
Repeated ceasefire negotiations failed to halt relentless warfare among multiple factions. With Russia's help, the government forces of President Bashar al-Assad finally seized rebel-held portions of the city of Aleppo at a huge cost in terms of deaths and destruction. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About? Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Number Democratic Party email leaks. Yes, hacked emails disclosed by WikiLeaks revealed at times embarrassing details from Democratic Party operatives in a run-up to Election Day, leading to the resignation of Democratic National Committee Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz and other DNC officials. The CIA later concluded that Russia was behind the DNC hacking in a bid to boost Donald Trump's chances of beating Hillary Clinton. Number six, attacks on police. Responding officers locked in a gun battle. Eight forty-eight, with medics on the scene, trying to get to the fallen officers. Officers engaged the subject at that particular time, and he ultimately died at the scene. The ambush-style attack leaves three officers dead, three others wounded. The shooter, later identified as 29-year-old Gavin Long. That was just one. Ambushes and targeted attacks on police officers in the U.S. claimed at least 20 lives this year. Number five. Worldwide terror attacks. Across the globe, extremist attacks flared at a relentless pace throughout the year. Among the many high-profile attacks were those that targeted airports in Brussels and Istanbul, a park teeming with families and children in Pakistan, the seafront boulevard in Nice, France, where 86 people were killed when a truck plowed through a Bastille Day celebration, and just days ago. This morning in Berlin, the manhunt is intensifying as the person responsible for driving a truck at 40 miles per hour through a Christmas market near Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church is still at large. Police warning people here to be particularly vigilant as Christmas markets are cautiously reopened. Number four. The Pulse nightclub massacre. The worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history unfolded on Latin night at The Pulse, a gay nightclub in Orlando. The gunman, whose name I won't repeat, killed 49 people over the course of three hours before dying in a shootout with SWAT team members. During the standoff, he pledged his allegiance to the Islamic State. The city of Orlando is starting to say goodbye to the 49 victims lost in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Corey Connell went to the club with his girlfriend so she could teach him how to Latin dance. Connell wanted to be a firefighter. Today at his service, Fire Department paramedic Lori Clay presented a helmet with Corey's name on it. A handful of protesters from the Westboro Baptist Church showed up to disrupt the funeral for Juan Ramon Guerrero and his boyfriend, Christopher Drew Leinenen. But drowning out the protesters in front of the Cathedral of St. Luke were hundreds of supporters of the LGBT community. Costumed angels from a local theater company created a barrier to shield family members from the anger. But I know one thing, if it were up to me, I'd take away the guns 
number. Three. Blacks killed by police. One day apart, police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana fatally shot Alton Sterling after pinning him to the ground, and a white police officer shot and killed Philando Castile during a traffic stop in a suburb of Minneapolis. Coming after several similar cases in recent years, the killings rekindled debate over policing practices and the Black Lives Matter movement. Stay with me. We got pulled over for a busted tail light in the back. And the police just, he's, he's, he's covered. He's licensed, he's carried, so he's licensed to carry. He was trying to get out his ID and his wallet out his um, pocket and he let the officer know that he was, re he had a firearm and he was reaching for his wallet and the officer just shot him in his arm. We're waiting for a back. I will, sir, no worries, I will. He just shot his arm off. We got pulled yeah. over on Larpener. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He had, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh my God, please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. Please don't tell me this, Lord. Please, Jesus, don't tell me that he's gone. Number two. Brexit. Confounding pollsters and odds makers, Britons voted in June to leave the European Union, triggering financial and political upheaval. David Cameron resigned as prime minister soon after the vote, leaving the task of negotiating an exit to a reshaped conservative government led by Theresa May. Under a tentative timetable, final details of the withdrawal might not be known until the spring of 2019. The Brexit vote has boosted its two most vocal backers, Nigel Farage, leader of the UK Independence Party, and Boris Johnson, a shaved orangutan with Owen Wilson's hair. And both men drove home a common theme. I believe that this Thursday can be our country's Independence Day. OK, Britain was already independent. In fact, it's what many other countries celebrate their independence from. Number one, the US election. This year's top story traces back to June 2015, when Donald Trump descended an escalator in Trump Tower in New York City to announce he would run for president. Don't want a nation under the new media. Widely viewed as a long shot and a joke, with an unconventional campaign featuring raucous rallies and pugnacious tweets, he outlasted 16 Republican rivals. Hey, Among the Democrats, Hillary Clinton beat back an unexpectedly strong challenge from Bernie Sanders and won the popular vote over Donald Trump. But he won key Rust Belt states to get the most electoral votes and will enter the White House with Republicans maintaining control of both houses of Congress. And that's it. The top 10 news stories of 2016, as written by the Associated Press. What a year, huh? Come on, 2017. You can't be this bad. And that's today's dose of What's News, produced by Nicole Sandler. NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Stick around. Lots more to come on this edition of The Bradcast. <laughs> Hi. 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. I've got some presents for Santa, and he's got a big one for me. Well, outside it snows. I take off on my Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Sorry. This is a this is a family show. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of the Nicole Sandler Show at NicoleSandler.com, filling in for Brad today. It is um, it is the holiday time, and you might still be looking for some gifts for those hard-to-please people on your list. A book is always a good idea. Earlier in the program, we talked to Ari Berman and talked about his book, Give Us the Ballot. Up next, another author who was in South Florida for the Miami International Book Fair, although he didn't have to travel very far. Bob Graham was governor of Florida for two terms, the best governor we've had actually down here in a long, long time. And uh, he also served as senator. And his new book, well, we talk about it in the interview, Bob Graham on the broadcast. Let's start with the book. So this is, it's the latest edition of America, the Owner's Manual. So when when was the first edition written? Uh, Between 2008 and 2009, Ah. uh, we wrote the first edition. This edition has about 50% new materials, a lot of new case studies, uh, what we call tips from the pros, uh, suggestions as to specific forms of civic engagement from uh, people who have done it professionally, uh, and then the narrative of what are the effective skills of citizenship and what can you do to master those skills. Well, since since we're speaking on, uh, it's November 19th, um, and uh, the book is just newly released again, I, I'm wondering, though, uh, if if there are any things you wish you could go back and change now that the election is over and we have a new president-elect? No. Uh, we've been working on this for about a year, uh-huh. uh, and uh, I, we, had not, we did not anticipate what has happened, <laughs> but now that it has, uh, I think it underscores some of the themes of the book, uh, such as the fact that so many Americans have lost confidence in their government. They feel that they're not being listened uh, to, that uh, their voices are muted. Uh, We say in this book that you don't have to depend upon who is elected to any particular office. You, as a citizen, uh, have the capability of leading change uh, for the betterment of your community, state, or nation, and we give lots of case study examples of where people did precisely that. So in the wake of the election, um, a lot of people are protesting every day. They're out in the streets. I think 
uh, the, the question I'm hearing most is, well, what are they protesting? And we're also finding out that some of the people who are protesting didn't bother to vote. Um, uh, I, I went to a meeting uh, just on Wednesday. It was a, you know, a week after the election of, of um, uh, per, uh, uh, Democracy for America and a new group called Bernie Kratz of South Florida. Um, I think a lot of people are wanting to get involved right now, and, but they just really don't know how. You got some people in the streets, others going to meetings. Um, what, what do you say to somebody who has not been involved in the political process before but realizes that our world is really about to change in huge ways? Um, other than pick up your book, America, the Owner's Manual, it, what, what's the best way for somebody young to, to get involved? Well, w- one uh, is that you have to be engaged in a topic about which you're passionate. Uh, being an effective citizen uh, is not for the weak of heart. Uh, and having that strong commitment starts uh, with... Uh, personal passion. Uh, Second, you do need to have some skills. Uh, One vivid memory that I have is after the uh, Newton, Connecticut uh, slaughter of those little children Mm -hmm. in the schools, one of the fathers uh, looked into the TV camera with uh, tears pouring out of his eyes and asked uh, the question, what can I do next? Well, this book hopes to provide an answer to that uh, question. And then finally, you have to be prepared uh, to be engaged for whatever time is required to be successful. Uh, Most big changes don't occur quickly, uh, and sometimes there are uh, intermediate losses before you finally get to the ultimate uh, victory. our, our, the last chapter of our book is about a situation in Los Angeles where uh, a group of citizens, largely Hispanic, were in conflict with the governor of California. And uh, it took them several years and several recoveries from what appeared to be defeat uh, to, to be successful. So passion, skills, persistence, those are the keys to effective citizenship. Do you do you talk about running for office at all in the book? Uh, that this is not a. This book is about fighting about, city hall, not about yeah. becoming part of it. Yeah, this is not a campaign book. Uh, although there may be some ideas that are relevant, like we have a section on how do you finance your uh, civic objective. Uh, and some of the ideas there could be applicable to an individual candidate uh, who is uh, seeking an office, but that's tangential. Uh, the primary focus of the book is on what can citizens do outside of holding a public office in order to accomplish their objectives. Got it. Uh, Senator Bob Graham is with us. Not only Senator, you were three-term senator from Florida, if I remember correctly, and a two-term governor. Um, uh, while you were in the Senate, if I hope you don't mind if I ask a couple of uh, news-type uh, questions, because you 
co-sponsored the bill to create the director of national intelligence position. Well, today uh, we learned that the DNI has has resigned, as is, uh, I guess, expected with a new administration coming in. Um, uh, seeing the the appointments that our president-elect has already made with uh, his name, Jeff Sessions as attorney general and uh, Michael Flynn as national security advisor. That one frightens me a bit. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on on what we're facing with the new Trump administration? Well, I, uh, what I hope the new Trump administration will do uh, is to discontinue this idea that the only people that they can entrust important governmental positions to are persons who were loyal uh, to the Trump campaign mm-hmm. uh, over the past many uh, months. Uh, I, I think the best uh, administrations are those that pick the best people, whatever their previous history uh, or political persuasion happens to be. Uh, one of my favorite presidents is Harry Truman, and he uh, followed that uh, standard, had a very uh, bipartisan cabinet uh, selecting on, based on uh, merit and the ability to uh, achieve the goals of uh, the uh, administration and was very successful uh, through that method. Uh, so my hope today is that uh, that's a message that uh, Donald Trump will hear and that uh, he'll be inclusive based on quality uh, in his administrative personnel decisions. Well, I, I would hope that too, Senator, but, but uh, you know, knowing who we're talking about, do you, I, guess, I guess we can have some wishful thinking out there and, and put that energy out into the universe because at this point I guess that's the only influence we have if I know our last name isn't Trump. You also, uh, Senator Graham, co-chaired the joint inquiry into the intelligence community activities before and after 9-11. In in recent years, um, uh, and and we thank you for it, you've been quite outspoken on uh, the possibility that Saudi Arabia was more involved than we know. I'm I'm parsing my words very carefully here because I don't want to put any words in your mouth. You spoke out about the 28 pages that had been held back that have since been released. Um, the 28 pages didn't seem to contain the bombshell that many of us thought they would, um, but still believe that Saudi Arabia is not our friend um, and that they were complicit in some way, at least, with the 9-11 attack. Um, I know there's a lot you can't tell us because of the top-secret nature of the work, but what, what can you tell us? Are we um, naive to to uh, because of our relationship with Saudi Arabia? I think we have been naive in terms of thinking that Saudi Arabia uh, was our faithful uh, ally. In fact, I think Saudi Arabia uh, is very much a country that uh, has had a history of concern that the kingdom might be attacked in the same way that the Shah of Iran was attacked and deposed in 1979, uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, and that they, when 
when pushed to the wall, Saudi Arabia is going to act in its own sense of uh, survival. Uh, I uh, I believe that the the 28 pages and some of the other information that has come out since then uh, has drawn a closer and closer linkage between Saudi Arabia and the uh, um, activities of the 19 hijackers into the United States. I say that with the knowledge that there are uh, many uh, thousands of uh, pages of additional documents that have not been released, Mm. uh, which I believe they have been suppressed precisely because uh, they would uh, uh, point uh, an even stronger finger at uh, Saudi Arabia as the uh, necessary uh, force uh, in the uh, attributing contributing to success of the hijackers on 9/11. Once the new administration is fully in place, would you consider reaching out to whomever? would be the appropriate person to talk about this? Because it seems like... I have done that in both the uh, Bush and the Obama administration, and I would anticipate uh, doing it with whoever has that responsibility. Uh, In the uh, the Trump administration, particularly uh, to let the information uh, that has been concealed in some cases now for almost 15 years, uh, be uh, released so that the American people can form uh, an opinion as to the role of Saudi Arabia uh, based on the uh, information which has been collected uh, and withheld by their own government. Senator Graham, what did you think about uh, President Obama vetoing the um, uh, the 9-11 uh, bill that that allows people to yeah. to uh, sue Saudi Arabia. Well, I think it was a very bad decision on his part, mm-hmm. and the Congress, more importantly, shared that opinion. And uh, in an overwhelming vote in both the House and the Senate, uh, overrode uh, his veto. Right. So now, the uh, families of the almost three thousand victims of nine eleven will have the opportunity to secure justice uh, in U.S. courts. Now, does that open us up? Um, Because we, the United States has been uh, bombing, drone drone attacking a lot of people. There are a lot of innocent people we've killed. Um, Should should they be able to sue us? Uh, I know that's an argument that's been made. Uh, The extinction of uh, sovereign immunity, or really the restraint of sovereign immunity, which this legislation provided, was for a very uh, narrow set of circumstances. Uh, It had to be an act conducted by an international terrorist organization, Mm -hmm. facilitated by a sovereign government, uh, which resulted in harm to U.S. persons uh, inside the United States. Uh, that's a very targeted uh, set of uh, conditions, uh, and I'm not worried that uh, the United States is going to suddenly become the target of litigation 
because I know of no international terrorist organization that uh, we have collaborated with uh, and uh, uh, resulted in harm to persons within their own soil. Gotcha. Uh, Bob Graham is with us, a senator from Florida, governor of Florida. You still live in Florida, obviously. I live in Miami Lakes, yes. I'm in Coral Springs, so I'm in northern Broward. But uh, the state has changed a lot uh, over the years. Our current governor um, had a policy that he doesn't allow the term climate change to be used at least in his presence or in official business. Uh, we're in serious danger down here, though. I saw an, I saw a photo <clears throat> taken just the other day. I think it was down near South Beach. At high tide, there was a little octopus in a parking garage. Um, we have special challenges. I think the whole world is, is being impacted by this. But um, what are you seeing in South Florida, and how much trouble are we in? Well, I think uh, South Florida is one of the most vulnerable places on the globe to the consequences of uh, sea rise. And therefore, uh, we have a should have a tremendous impetus to try to first uh, mitigate the uh, degree of the uh, damage that uh, sea rise can uh, produce, primarily by reducing the amount of uh, carbon dioxide released into the uh, environment, and second, uh, prepare to uh, respond uh, to conditions that our slow response to to global warming uh, has now made inevitable, such as the the flooding that's occurring, uh, primarily associated with high tide uh, conditions in South Florida, and are bringing uh, uh, sea life into parking garages. Yeah, it's uh, scary times. And, um, well, the, the, the thing, only thing I know of from the Trump administration on, on uh, climate change is he thinks it was, um, it's a hoax made up by the Chinese. So I guess we all have to act on our own. Uh, Senator Bob Graham, again, the, the book is... Uh, the latest edition of America, the Owner's Manual. You can fight City Hall and win. I think now more than ever, this is a book that we all need to get a hold of because we we really don't know what's coming. Um, Any words of optimism for those of us who are really freaking out around the country right now? Yeah, the, the optimism is that we live in the United States of America, the greatest democracy in the history of the world, uh, and uh, our wise forefathers and mothers uh, gave power not only to uh, government and uh, elected officials, but gave very significant power to uh, our individual uh, citizens. Uh, things like the saving of South Beach, the sharp reduction in uh, drunk uh, deaths attributed to drunk uh, driving and uh, scores of other examples are all the result of citizens using their rights and responsibilities uh, in an effective manner. Uh, What America, the owner's manual, is designed to do is to give to more Americans first the inspiration that they can fight City Hall and win, uh, and then the tools, the skills uh, to actually accomplish that result. 
Um, I just uh, spent the day at the International Book Fair here at Miami-Dade College, and I was very pleased with the large turnout for the presentation of the book and then the number of people who uh, purchased the book and told me personally, well, I'm going to take this home and see uh, how I can use these skills to make my community a better place. Well, that's what we all have to do because it's in our hands right now. We don't have the luxury of sitting back. Uh, we, we need to know how to fight City Hall and uh, perhaps even the White House. Bob Graham, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys calling because I I couldn't be there today. It was great to talk with you. We've spoken before. I know you talk to a lot of people, uh, but I I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Sandler, and I appreciate your bringing to the awareness of your audience the the book, uh, America, the Owner's Manual, and your kind comments on uh, what it um, has the potential of accomplishing. Former governor of Florida, former senator from Florida, Bob Graham here. Well, speaking with me a couple of weeks ago, right around the time of the Miami Book Fair, his new book, well, the new edition of his book, America, the Owner's Manual, Making Government Work for You. Maybe we should send a copy to Donald Trump. He might learn something. We can only hope. With that, we're done for the day. Have a great holiday, whatever you celebrate, be it Festivus, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, or as we call it around here, Christmas Kwanzaa. It is the holiday season, and we're going to continue in for Brad and Desi for the next couple of shows. So until next time, I'm Nicole Sandler of The Nicole Sandler Show, wishing you a very, very happy holiday, whatever you celebrate. Until next time, Good luck, world.